If you've ever done any preaching, you've probably had to wrestle with the question, what should my sermon be about? And by asking that question, maybe you didn't so much have a topic in mind as much as what to actually fill that time with when you are in the pulpit preaching. Spurgeon's answer to that question, what should my sermon be about, is that we must be preaching sermons that have real doctrinal teaching in them. Now every preacher claims, and we all say this, we all claim to have practical, dynamic, relevant sermons. But a question that we should be asking ourselves is, are our sermons doctrinal? That's a general statement, and I know perhaps it sounds completely obvious. But let's dig into the specifics as Spurgeon lays them out in his chapter, Sermons, Their Matter, in his book, Lectures to My Students. Now here are the five lessons I learned from this chapter that helped me become a better preacher. And the first lesson I learned is that there are some sermon myths that I needed to reject. For example, there is this false idea among many preachers that a spiffy outline or a creatively alliterated sermon outline is the proof positive of a good sermon, and that is simply not the case. Just because a sermon has a clever outline does not mean that that sermon itself, the content of that sermon, is good for preaching and good for God's people. Uh, if you spend too much time wrestling with three points that begin with B or five points that begin with TH, and you don't spend more time in the actual content of the sermon, then you're coming about sermon preparation all wrong. Spurgeon put it this way, to divide a sermon well may be a useful art, but how if there is nothing to divide? A mere division maker is like an excellent carver with an empty dish before him. Another myth that we need to reject is this idea that a sermon that arouses emotions within the speaker and the listeners is a good sermon. Just because the folks shout amen and there is uh, this electric atmosphere during the sermon does not mean that that sermon is a good sermon. And so we need to reject these myths and we need to, to beware of the temptation of writing our sermons around the purpose of soliciting emotional reactions from our listeners instead of simply preaching the word. Spurgeon said it this way, rousing appeals to the affections are excellent, but if they are not backed by instruction, they are a mere flash in the pen, powder consumed, but no shot sent home. Rest assured that the most fervid revivalism will wear itself out if it be not maintained by the fuel of teaching. The second lesson I learned from this chapter is that preachers must be theologians. We must know doctrine and shun this attitude that doctrine divides and that people don't want doctrine or this idea that people just want practicality in preaching and not doctrinal truth in preaching. This is not true. Doctrine is teaching, and if we refuse to give our listeners the teaching of the Word of God, 
What we give them, at best, is the gruel of human opinion and, at worst, the poison of dangerous heresy. Many preachers mistakenly lead their people astray because they do not know doctrine. They preach a false gospel, perhaps unwittingly, because they don't understand the nature of sin. They don't understand the person of Christ. They don't comprehend all that the Bible teaches of these important doctrinal pillars upon which the church stands. So we must be theologians. The third lesson we must master is that the sermon should come from the text, the Bible verse, or the Bible verses, that is. As Spurgeon explained, the discourse should spring out of the text as a rule, and the more evidently it does so, the better. This disease of unbiblical sermons that Spurgeon denounced in his day is still a plague on our own. It is a tragic irony that often those who blow the trumpet loudest about keeping to the Word of God and standing on the Word of God are unfortunately the same ones who are the quickest to divorce their sermons from the Word of God. Spurgeon put it in these words, Some brethren have done with their text as soon as they have read it, Having paid all honor to that particular passage by announcing it, they feel no necessity to further refer to it. Why do such men take a text at all? Now listen, honestly, the best way to keep your sermon to the text is to learn to preach expositionally. Uh, there are some who try to point out that Spurgeon was not an expositional preacher. They say that Spurgeon did not preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, and that's true. But that doesn't mean that Spurgeon wasn't an expositional preacher. And the problem with that notion is that it shows a misunderstanding of what expositional preaching is. Expositional preaching is not preaching through the Bible verse by verse. Expositional preaching is simply letting the text passage determine the sermon's content. That is, if the content of your sermon is determined by the meaning of the Bible text, then your preaching is expositional. It doesn't have to be verse by verse, book by book. It simply has to be a sermon that comes from the verse or the chapter or the half a verse or whatever. Because Spurgeon didn't preach through books of the Bible verse by verse, many wrongly assume that Spurgeon was a topical preacher. Men who say that show that they don't know what expositional or topical preaching is. Spurgeon was very clear that while he did not denounce topical preaching, he did not prefer it. He said it this way, Although in many cases topical sermons are not only allowable but very proper, these sermons which expound the exact words of the Holy Spirit are the most useful and the most agreeable to the major part of our congregations. They love to have the words themselves explained and expounded. What he means is when your people assemble on Sundays, they want to know what the Bible means, and your preaching should explain the Bible. The fourth lesson is that our preaching should give a clear testimony to all the doctrines of the Bible. 
of course, not in one sermon. That would be impossible or a very, very long sermon. But over the course of our ministries, we should see a continual pattern of preaching the whole counsel of God. Given enough time, there shouldn't be one doctrine that our sermons haven't addressed. To this, Spurgeon adds a caution that we should not make minor doctrines the main points. And he illustrates his meaning by describing the widow woman with seven children to support by her needle, who wants far more to hear of the loving kindness of the God of providence than these mysteries profound. If you preach to her the faithfulness of God to his people, she will be cheered and helped in the battle of life. But difficult questions will perplex her and send her to sleep. The fifth lesson I learned from Spurgeon in this chapter is that we should be careful not to overload a sermon with too much matter. That is, sermons can be too long and sermons can have too much for the people to sift through with their own listening abilities. It is entirely possible to overload a sermon and feed the people too much at one time. Spurgeon lamented the people's inability in his day to sit for long periods of time as they seemed to be able to in the Puritan's age. And if Spurgeon lamented that in his day, how much more could we lament the same thing today? Technology and smartphones and the age of video has made people's ability to focus even more diminished than it used to be. So keep that in mind when you prepare your sermons, that you have an eye to the people's ability to sit and listen and focus. There's much more to talk about in this chapter, but I'm going to stop here and encourage you to read for yourself Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students and his chapter titled, Sermons, Their Matter. I close with this quote from Spurgeon. Of all I wish to say, this is the sum. My brethren, preach Christ always and evermore. And to that I say, Amen.